there's no chapters in Jude because there's just one. There's no chapter two. So it's just the book of Jude. I am going to tell you up front today, you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to concentrate. And it's not an easy day to concentrate, is it? All right. So you ask the Lord to help you to listen to him and really think about what's being said here today. I hope that the Lord will, uh, that he'll speak and move in our hearts. We're going to start in verse 17. And I believe this 17 and 18 kind of make the theme of this book. And so we want to focus on those uh, 17 through 19. Verse 17 says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Look at verse 19 again. Okay. This is the key. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. You know, I said earlier this summer, we had a really good series for me was just some times of picking out some of my passages in the scripture where the Lord would really lift up my spirit and encourage my heart. Uh, but today, I, I think these are words that sting, and they are some really uh, harsh words. And what I want you to be careful of today, my grandma Malone always talked about pitchfork theology. You guys know what that is, right? That's when the preacher is preaching, and you're like, oh, yeah, Diane has that problem. Oh, yeah, Oliver has that problem. Oh, yeah, Megan has that problem. <laughs> and you like to hear words, and you like to use it to judge other people. And sometimes outside the church today, you're going to want to use these words, maybe to judge other people. But where I want you to start today is right here in your heart. And you examine yourself first and then ask the Lord to lead you as you discern uh, some of these other things. So please ask the Lord to speak to you again today, to humble yourself where you need to be humble, to be bold where you need to be bold. All right. So let's look again at those three uh, verses and the idea is that we would watch out for people who would divide. Are there people who would like to divide the church today? Certainly, right? Uh, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. That is the problem, okay? Okay. Um, how can you distinguish, and this is something we want to work through in the book of Jude, how can you distinguish between what is spiritual and what is natural, right? Is the Holy Spirit a gut feeling? Can the Holy Spirit give you a gut feeling? That's kind of tricky, isn't it, right? <laughs> is the Holy Spirit your conscience? No, he is God. But can he use your conscience? Yes, right? And so this is something that you want to be working through this book is, Lord, how can I discern when I'm actually in the spirit and when I'm just following what I feel like or what troubles me or what makes me happy? What we find here is that in the book of Jude, there's some guys that are slipping into the church in order through the devil to tear it apart. The Lord said there would be scoffers 
and you would know them by these three things. And so these same things apply to us today. You can figure out who is in the church with the wrong motivation if any of these things are pursuant in their life. Do they show themselves by their ungodly actions, right? It's one thing to talk a good game when you're at church, to testify, to praise the Lord, but what is their lifestyle? Remember our red church? Love is not what you say. Love is what you do, right? Okay. One way you can identify people who are in the church with the wrong motivation is their actions, their ungodly actions. The second thing is they have a desire to divide the church. And usually this can really work its way through clicks and gossip. Everybody know those two things? What's a click? That's me and Bella and Leah. We are the besties of friends. They just, they can't get enough of me. They love to be around. We love to be around each other. You know, Kirsten and Abby, they kind of can have their own little group, but really me and Bella and Leah, we are it today. Until Bella says something that makes me mad. And then Kirsten could be in my group and we'll be the click, right? You guys have that probably every day at, at school, don't you, right? Well, guess what? It happens in the church too, doesn't it, right? Well, every Sunday morning Sunday school, I always sit by Todd. But could you believe it today? Todd went and sat by Ray. I was so offended. Doesn't he know that we're the group together? And you guys, we have to be careful in church that cliques don't become a part of the church. Now, can you have friendships with people that are stronger than others? You're going to. That's human, right? But again, that we would not treat people with favoritism and that we would make sure that everyone here is loved and welcomed and well-served. It's very, very important, okay? And then that third thing, and the thing that we're gonna keep pushing on is you can tell ungodly, divisive people also by the way that they pursue those natural instincts rather than really following the lead of the Holy Spirit. So in order to kind of to defend, uh, to defend against this kind of attack, Mike, Mike taught me this when we did our warrior challenge. It's not always about going on the defensive, is it, right? We need to go on the offensive. In spiritual warfare, we need to go on the offensive. And so here's the two things I want you to think about today. And this is what we're going to try to bring through this book as we talk so many negative things. I want you to keep going back to these two positive things. We need to pursue love and holiness. The church today, I think, is really good about love. We love to talk love. We love to show kindness. We love to talk about compassion. We love to talk about caring. I think the church today has really is walking away from holiness. And the way I can tell, the way I see it, at least in my little world, is that I still am around people who say that they are Christian and that they love Jesus. But what I see is they don't follow his commands at all. His commands, many of them, they don't really care about or have any desire to know or follow or do or act on, but they love Jesus. That is love without holiness. Now, there's also a holiness without love, right? What? This young lady came in, and she is having a child, and she's not married? Kick her out of the church. She has no place in here. Did you know the church used to do things like that, right? Yeah. That is holiness in quotes, all right, without love, all right? That was, would be us holding up abortion signs and never helping the young mother that's visiting the abortion clinic. 
right? That'd be us saying, don't let your hands be idle and you need to work and never ever going downtown to check on someone why that they can't work. Are you hearing the Lord today? We need both. We need to be holy, but we also need to be filled with the love of God. And that's what's going to fight against what we're seeing here today. Uh, today's message for me is so not an easy one. It's a very important one. And I think, again, there's a little penology here, but you measure it out today. We are living in a world where the idea of sin is vanishing, and rather the idea of UBU, you guys heard that phrase, UBU, or whatever uh, feels good to you, those phrases are ruling the day, right? Again, we're seeing this idea of sin just being completely pulled out of our culture. But I want to remind you today that there is a God and he has revealed his word to us. Hear me out today. This is the whole crux of everything. Either this book is true or this book is not. Are you hearing me today? <laughs> if this book is true, then it has all kinds of implications on how I'm going to live my life. And if the book is not true, get rid of it. Do what you want to. But I feel like I'm in a group of people here today that are, you're inclined to say, yeah, I, I kind of think this book is true. I feel like God did deliver this. And I feel like I need to figure out how to, as the scripture says, rightly divide it, right? I need to, to make sure I interpret it correctly because what it has to say is so important. And what we're going to see today is some of the things it has to say today are so against our culture. And the culture is going to say, there's no way that book is true. And I'm telling you, as your pastor today, I believe with all my heart that the book of Jude was delivered by God through Jude to that church and then also to carry on to our day. And it holds true today. So if you guys are with me today, let that, let that ring in the back of your mind. This book is true. Now, if I'm going to trust the Lord, that means I'm going to obey his word. And I want you to be careful here. My brother and I talk about this so much. Sometimes we can get into a paralyzation of processing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We would talk about this if we're going, if we're going out to eat. Well, I wasn't going to go out to eat to Cheddar's, but it's a little more pricey. If I went to McDonald's, it's cheaper, but it's not as good for my body. And if I just went to Walmart, I could probably get some food even cheaper than that. What should I do? Or... Which tire should I get for my car? Should I get the cheapest ones, but they won't last as long, or the middle ones, they last a little or not as expensive, or should I get the really good ones that'll last the longest time? And you can spend forever trying to say, which one should I do? I'm trying to be a good steward of the things that God has given me. And what Oliver kind of taught us all a few nights, Wednesday nights ago was a reminder that when you love the Lord as a little child, you can kind of get rid of some of that analyzation because you're just going to follow the Lord you love. Amen? I want to be with him. I want to be where he is. And if he sends me here, I'm going to be here. We should have a generous spirit. We should be giving and sharing, but we shouldn't be getting so wrapped up in the process of every detail. And sometimes I'm afraid we do. So I'm trying to, to keep away from going that far. At the same time, we do need reminders of right and wrong. Amen? All right, you guys continue to bear with me. I told you you have to concentrate today. Look at verse one. We have our greetings from Jude. He says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. There are two disciples named Jude, right? Who was the famous one? 
Jude is short for what? Judas. Do you know anybody named Judas today? You might. It's kind of an interesting thing that a parent would name their child Judas, right? You might name it Jude because it's shortened because the meaning is different. But there were two disciples, uh, Jude that was also called Thaddeus. You'll hear of Thaddeus in the disciples list. And then you've got Judas Iscariot. Neither one of those are this Jude, all right? If we understand correctly, this Jude is actually the brother of James, and they are half-brothers of who? How would you like to be the brother of Jesus? You thought your brother or sister was the favorite, <laughs> right? These are the half-brothers of the Messiah, and if you study the scriptures, you'll see that during his ministry, they didn't want anything to do with him. And yet after his resurrection, James will become one of the greatest missionaries and apostles. And here we have Jude, who's actually written a letter to express the importance of pushing out false teaching and pursuing love and holiness. This is the half-brother of Jesus writing to us here today. Again, he's writing to the church. I want you to hear this this morning. That's why I was trying to get you all to go. Focus on us first. You're going to be so tempted to call out sins in the world when we read through this, but focus on yourself and us first. He is writing to the church. We need to grab hold of the message. He's giving greetings to the called, the loved, and the kept. We could do a whole sermon on that. We're not going to do that today, but what a privilege and a blessing. And he gives that beautiful greeting of mercy and peace and love, wishing good things on his church family. Look down at verse three. And we're going to see we need to contend for the faith and stand against sin. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Few certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. I feel, I just feel like Jude today. Do you see how he started out? I want to talk about our salvation. Amen? You want to talk about heaven? I came to church to get lifted up. All that preacher wanted to do was tear us down. <laughs> And that's where Jude is. He's like, I want to talk about the good stuff. I want to talk about the grace and the mercy and the covering of the blood and the hope and the peace and the future. I want to talk about salvation. But the Lord won't let me right now. The Spirit says we're going to have to talk about some certain individuals who are trying to pervert the grace of God. And we need to deal with this problem. So he writes for us to contend to fight for a faith that has been passed down. And today we must continue that fight. And believe you me, it is a fight. Have you been watching some school board meetings lately? They are lit up, aren't they, right? There is contention in those meetings. And there are fighting over masks. I know they're fighting over many other things, but that's one of the big things. You guys, what we are fighting for is so much more important as to whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. We are fighting for heaven and hell and salvation and peace in the life of people who are broken. And we need to contend for that. We need to fight for that. So he speaks of these certain individuals 
and how they are already condemned by their actions. They are the wolves in sheep's clothing. They are ungodly. They will not submit to the authority of God. They want to be their own authority. And here's what I want you to focus on in this first paragraph this morning. They pervert grace into a license for immorality. And by so doing, they deny the very Lord that bought them. You've probably heard this phrase before. It's easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission. Thank you. Right? You ever done that? I ain't got time to get permission. I'm sure it'll be okay. They can forgive us later, right? You guys, some people have taken the gospel and the grace of the gospel and all the forgiveness that comes with the cross of Christ, and they have perverted it into a license for immorality. And what they're saying, what Jude is saying, is they're saying, it doesn't matter if you sin, God will forgive you. Don't worry about it. You ever live like that? Well, I wouldn't say it out loud. But yeah, I've done some things where I went ahead and did them because I thought, well, the Lord will forgive me for that, right? Well, these guys, it was a pattern and a habit for them to say, I'm free. My freedom is free. If I want to go out and I want to sin, it's no big deal because the Lord will forgive me. And that teaching they were trying to shed and spread, uh, share and spread among a group of the church here that Jude is writing to. We have to really be on the watch out for this kind of philosophy today. And it is in the church today, by the way. A church that is all grace and is not at all obedient to the truth of the scriptures can really fall into this trap that ah, it doesn't really matter. We are free. We've been set free. And you have been set free. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave <laughs> to Christ. Amen? All right, Jude is reminding us here that grace is not a license to sin. Again, maybe you've heard it this way. This is what I think will be common. You have no right to judge me. You ever heard that? Uh, as a matter of fact, some people make up a scripture that's actually not in the scripture. The scripture says, thou shalt not judge. <laughs> One of the Ten Commandments. No, that's not exactly what it says, right? Jesus has something similar to say, okay? God's grace covers me. I can go on sinning. I'll be forgiven. That's the kind of attitude, the kind of philosophy that was in the minds of these people. And I'm going to tell you, it's in the minds of some churches today, and we have to stand against that. Let's look in Romans chapter 6 real quick, verse 11 through 14. Paul writes, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. What does that sound like Paul is saying? Get away from the sin, right? Don't let it rule the day. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of what? Righteousness. Remember, grace, love, holiness, righteousness. There we go, right? Verse 14, and here's what I love. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. That passage is so clear that grace does not mean you're free to go on sinning. As a matter of fact, what grace means is that you're no longer bound to sin. The Lord will give you the power to overcome the sin. That's what grace means. It doesn't mean that I have a license to go and satisfy my fleshly desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
Those things I still should abhor, and grace gives me the opportunity to overcome that. So again, the Bible says the opposite. Grace frees us from sin rather than allowing us to do more of it. All right, first section here. here hang on with me. Where are you and I using grace as a license or a free pass to sin? I can't answer that for you today, but I need you to think about it. What's the common sins in your life that you face on a regular basis? Everybody knows what they are. And have you basically got to the place where you're just like, well, the Lord will just have to forgive me because I can't beat this one. Well, you just read the Lord said, grace says that sin is not your master. All right. Number two today, when have you seen false teaching like this creep into the church? It's doing it today. Well, we just want to really focus on the love part. As long as we're getting people to sit in the pews and fill in the aisles and we've got plenty of money to put on a nice program, we're good with it. Not, to, not what the Lord says. And so here's the question as we move forward. How can we go about confronting it? Well, in order to confront it, we really need to get a good picture of what it is that these certain individuals were possessing. And this is where we're going to see some things are so countercultural uh, today. Look at verse 5. These are so close but so far away from the grace of Christ. Jude writes, he says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion, and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Jude gives three examples of people who were surrounded by the grace of God, but they chose themselves, and because of that, they faced destruction. So this is an important conversation that we need to be having. This is what we want our children to avoid. Let's look at these three examples briefly. Example number one was what? Unbelievers among the children of Israel. Well, my grandma was an incredible holy woman, and she loved me and prayed for me. I'm sure God will figure it out when I die, right? My family goes to church. That should be enough, right? I want you to think about this for a second. The people that Jude is talking about here, what did they see? They saw the plagues. They saw the frogs. They saw the lice. They saw the hail. They overcame the death of the firstborn. Their kids were still alive that next day when all of Egypt, the firstborn, were dead. They celebrated the first Passover. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw the cloud and the fire a day and night, the very presence of God. They had Moses as a leader, ate manna from heaven, and yet Jude says they still did not believe, and what happened to them? They were destroyed. Now, that's really easy real quick. That gears up to me real fast. Oh, I want to go and see who that is out there. Again, I got my pitchfork out. Who's that apply to? <laughs> and what the Lord says to you today is you're in Israelite territory. You're surrounded by people who are seeking God and pursuing God. But if you don't pursue him and you don't grow your faith, you too will be destroyed. I don't even know how to say this with more gravity than I'm trying to say to you this morning. All right? 
This isn't everybody goes to heaven when they die. That's not what Jude is saying. This isn't even everybody that goes to church who goes to heaven when they die. This is, there are a lot of people in church who will be in hell when they die. That's the truth of this passage. It's serious. I wish I had a way to just say it with more gravity or more tears or more serious. I don't even know how to get it across. But that's what Jude is saying. Destruction for those who don't grow their faith. Who's in your life that you love, that their faith has waned or maybe has never grown? They are facing destruction. Again, hear me this morning. That's why I started with this book. This is not the penology. This is not the preacher. This is what the word of God is saying to us today. If you're going to take the word, you got to take it all. And that's what it says this morning. What a really harsh, harsh truth. So a few things here real quick. Your mom's faith is not good enough. Your church membership means nothing without faith. Your cultural associations of being good are not enough. All of these are empty without belief in God through Christ. That's the point. And that's the message that needs to be to every church member in every pew around the world. And that's what we have to share in our lives, not just by our words. I want to challenge you this morning that you would measure people by their faith and not by the clubs or the groups they belong to. To contend or to fight, we need to grow in our faith or we'll be destroyed too. There's your first example today. People who are all around the grace of God, yet they still face destruction because they did not believe. The second group, this is unbelievable. The angels, right? Think with me just for a second about the angels. What did they see? Well, they, they saw all the plagues. They saw the Red Sea. They saw all that that the Israelites saw. They saw the very beginning, the creation of the universe. They saw God make the Milky Way. They were in the very presence of the most beautiful, glorious God. They were made perfectly. They held great authority, and they were not satisfied. Do you hear the warning in Jude's voice? All the blessings that we have here today, right? I mean, we are so blessed to have God's word, to be after the resurrection. We know the history. We know what Jesus has done. And yet, if we're not careful, we too can be in trouble. The angels saw the very beginnings of the universe, and it wasn't enough. Their authority wasn't enough. They challenged God. And what does the scripture say? But God, he's put them into judgment, right? Sometimes, for some of us, again, what we have from the Lord is still not enough. We want to kick God off the throne and put ourselves on it. (laughs) We want to satisfy our desires rather than his. We say we will determine our own path. Careful. Careful what Jude is saying. And the people that are coming in, one of the ways you can identify them is you can see that they seek themselves. Well, here's my latest idea. Here's my latest thought. Here's my latest book or blog or website or YouTube channel. You really need to gravitate to me because I'm amazing. And there are people infiltrating churches today with those very ideas. All right. First example was who? Stay with me. Israelites. <laughs> Second example was the angels, right? Look at the third example. 
Sodom and Gomorrah. They gave up. They gave up. Think about this here today. There with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah was a fighting against sin for a while, but they gave up. And grace visited them as well, didn't it? The surrounding town, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, why do we even know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Because of Lot and Abraham, right? <laughs> Abraham, the father of the faith, was gracing the towns that he, that he was with, that he was nearby. He prayed for God not to destroy those people. God's grace was all around Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family lived there. And you guys remember the story of Lot's wife, right? As God was raining his judgment down on that place, Lot said, we've got to leave. The Lord told him, we've got to leave. But for his wife, the temptation was too strong. Her love for the natural things was too strong. And as she turned, she was turned to a pillar of salt. Again, think of the seriousness of these three examples. Now, again, in our culture, and I want you to hear me out this morning. You young girls need to hear this stuff too. It's really important. Our culture will tell you that, well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not a sin of homosexuality, but it was a sin of a lack of hospitality. We are looking at the Bible in full context. Are we reading an Old Testament book this morning? No. We're reading the next to the last book of the Bible. And what does Jude say that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns was? He says it was sexual immorality and perversion. Did he say it was a lack of hospitality? Do you believe the word of God? This is confronting our culture, and not just with homosexuality, but immorality is pervasive in our culture, isn't it? And here's what I'm telling you today, is immorality is crept and made its way into the church. And we have to contend against it, and we have to fight it. I want you to hear my words this morning as we kind of make our way through. And again, not so much my words, but the Lord, that he would work through the words I have for you to think about today. Our society wants, not, wants to not call these things sins anymore, this immorality. They want to excuse these things as individualism or freedom of expression. But again, I say to you this morning, not me, but the word of God, God calls these things sin. That's what the word says, not what I say. And before you and I judge too quickly, hear me out this morning. I don't think Jude was just talking about homosexuality, but any adultery, fornication, lust, and divorce would fall into these same categories. Again, the main point here is that people were so close to the grace of God and that Lot and his family were being influenced by this sinful culture. And it's a reminder for us here as well that those who have been forgiven the most are the most thankful and the least judgmental. Hello? Man, if I can find a sin and label it and make myself look better, let's do that. Amen? That's how we act and think a lot of times, isn't it, right? And yet the most beautiful, special people I've ever been around my whole life are those who were maybe some of the most sinful and then found God's grace 
and then their grace to other people is to the level of ridiculous. They're so forgiving and so loving, and they see what God sees in that person. Today, again, it's such a hard thing, but we have to separate out that sinfulness and see the image of God inside the person we're trying to minister to today. Be careful to not abuse this passage as you condemn the sins of others. Be sure to condemn the sins in your own heart as well. And as you find forgiveness and grace in Christ, be quick to offer forgiveness and grace to others who will submit their hearts to Jesus. And in just a few weeks at the end of the book of Jude, you're going to see where he says he wants us to snatch people from the fire. We too must contend against this. We must call sin what the Lord calls sin. It's not to say, hear me out this morning, it's not to say we won't be tempted, even as Lot and his family were. Most of us will fight and sometimes even succumb to the temptation of immorality or perversion. But instead of excusing it and saying, well, that's just how God made me, or making a license for sin and saying, well, it's okay if I go on sinning, grace will abound. We are to call sin for what it is, a trespass against a holy God. That's what the scripture says. What is the end of the Israelites who did not believe? Destruction. What is the end of the angels who fell from heaven? Hell is made for the devil and his angels. What is the end of those in Sodom and Gomorrah who rejected the grace of Christ? Eternal fire. Destruction, right? eternal destruction. Hear the seriousness of Jude this day. Now, you and I, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but sometimes I know a lot of people like to joke about hellfire and brimstone sermons and preaching, but my friends today, this is no joke. I love talking about heaven. I love talking about the grace of God, but we have to deal with the whole uh, of God's word. And here is part of that word that reminds us that there is destruction for people who are even surrounded by God's grace. There is condemnation and wrath for those who forsake the grace offered to them through the sacrifice of God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Hear the words of the Lord. We cannot take this grace lightly. We cannot suffer sin and take it lightly. So let us pursue love with all our hearts and let us ask God to discipline us to be holy even as he is holy. Everybody tracking with that? All right, real quick, I want to just hit this last paragraph, then we'll finish up for today, okay? Irrational animals. Hmm? <laughs> Look down if you would, verse 8. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, it will destroy them. All right, for clarity's sake, Jude is helping us to identify the false teachers and again, some of the sin in our own hearts. First thing he mentions is on the strength of their dreams. What does that mean? Well, these dreamers could be that it would be people who are just not in touch with reality, but I think more likely they are certain men who've had so-called prophetic dreams that they would claim are of God that in actually were deceptions and not in line with the truth of God. 
and have decided to pursue their own passions because these false dreams have given them license to do so. This would be special revelation to me. I know that the Bible says that you should do this, but really God told me I could do different. <laughs> you ever read anybody like that? There's a lot of TV preachers like that. I know the Bible says this, but God really told me this. I have a vision and a word from God, and he said, this is okay for me to do it this time. And what you'll find out is that if what they're prophesying and saying doesn't line up with the word of God, the Bible says, get rid of it. And that's the truth that is here, okay? These people pollute their bodies. Again, it could be through escape. It could be through immorality. It could be other sins. They reject authority and set themselves up as their own authority. They are even so vile as to heap abuse on celestial beings. They have no idea of their own value in the scheme of things. The way I phrased it here this morning is they are an ant screaming at an elephant, not realizing they could be crushed at any moment. They pretend like, oh, yeah, I can tell the devil whatever. I have the power. Well, what did Jude say? Even Michael, if you have the hierarchy of angels and you want to go to the very top, who's the top one? And we know that Mary said Michael was an angel, but I'm not sure he believed it, right? The very top. Who's the top one? Michael. And he goes to talk to the devil about the body of Moses. And does Michael take it on his own authority to rebuke the devil? What's he say? He says, the Lord rebuke you. And again, I challenge you this morning, we need to be careful. <laughs> uh, even the highest archangel would not rebuke Satan, but spoke the Lord rebuke you. When we think we are mighty, we slander without the slightest ounce of humility or dignity. Well, what's going to happen to these men? They'll be destroyed by their ungodly instincts. Their focus, look here, is on the natural, not the spiritual they don't follow the Holy Spirit, but their own carnal spirit, striving to fulfill each and every natural desire. And that's why Jude calls them irrational animals. Okay, let's put this together this morning. First thing, we must be on the watch for people who would use dreams to persuade us that they know best. You might encounter this at work sometime or in another church event or whatever. If someone says, God gave me some special revelation, you need to check and make sure it lines up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, then you need to get away from that person, okay? We need to examine our own hearts to see where we are trying to put ourselves on a throne that only belongs to God. And here, this one's very important this morning. We need not fear the devil. You hear that? We don't need to be afraid of the devil, but we must respect his power and authority in this world and let who be our defender? The Lord, right? Just like Michael the archangel. To continually reject the call of God to submit is to bring destruction upon ourselves. And finally, Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, lift us up. That needs to be our prayer. Let me close with this illustration from Todd Hunter. He says, while I was ministering at a church in Anaheim, we had a blackout during one of our services and an automobile accident knocked out the power line to our building. There are approximately 3,000 people in the room and close to 1,000 children in an area behind the sanctuary. For a reason I cannot remember, the emergency lights failed as well. 
Sitting in the front row of the church, I was only a dozen steps from the hallway leading to the children, but the darkness was so overwhelming and disorienting that it was difficult groping my way there. When I finally reached the door that led to a long hallway, I saw that a mother had a small flashlight on her keychain, and she had beat me to the door and was making her way to the children. Her small light didn't illumine the whole hallway, but it reoriented the whole scary moment for me. And soon others found emergency flashlights in the classrooms, and still others shined their car headlights through the classroom windows, and we got all the kids out to safety. After about five or ten minutes, I made my way back to the sanctuary, and it looked like a 1960s rock concert as all the baby boomers had gotten out their Bic lighters and were waving them around as if the song Hey Jude was being performed by the Beatles. As funny as that was, what I still remember 20 years later is the enormous power of that mom's flashlight to bring hope and orientation to a seriously unnerving moment. What's it going to matter if you take a stand? What's it going to matter if you contend? What's it going to matter if you make one strong statement, your little bitty voice? Well, maybe that will give the next person strength and the next person strength and the next person strength and the next person to lock arms and the next person to lock shields. And then you'll have an army energized to contend for the faith. And it may just start with one little bitty flashlight, one little flicker where you said, no, that's not right. I believe God's word is true. And I'm not perfect. And I don't have it all together. But I'm doing everything I can to honor him. And I don't want to be destroyed. I want to be a part of what he has in store. So I'm going to say, no, <laughs> that's sin. Are you willing to do that? That's where we're starting today in the book of Jude. Thank you guys so much for your attention. Would you stand this morning? For us to contend for the faith, to stand for truth, to fight against sin in our own lives is to shine just a little light that it may help reorient the path for so many others. And so my challenge to you this week, fight the good fight of faith and pray that God will use it to help others find their way. You guys, I don't like telling you all these negative things and telling you to judge yourself and that destruction is coming. I think the motivation for heaven is even stronger to me than the fear of hell. But I do believe in the whole counsel of the word of God. And I think the whole thing has to be shared. And the whole thing we need to live and live it out. Let's just take a moment this morning and then we'll pray. And use this time as a time of reflection. Ask the Lord to investigate your heart. And if you would this morning, would you pray for your church family? And pray that we'll be a group of people that will be able to push away divisiveness and we'll really be a group of people that submit and a group of people who are full of grace and forgiveness and yet stand for truth and holiness. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, today, I thank you so much for your word. And again, Lord, I just, I step aside from what has been spoken. And Lord, I pray that, that, the people gathered here today will have heard from you what they need to hear. Lord, I pray that you would please make us a church that is teaching the whole counsel of God. And Lord, that we are very clear when it comes to sin, but we're also very clear when it comes to forgiveness and redemption. Lord, let us be quick, quick to forgive and let us
to be quick to hold up hope in life and to live a love that is in action. And at the same time, Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to disagree with sin, to stand against it in our workplace, in our family, uh, in our community, Lord, but especially in our church. I pray that you will help us to stand against sin and encourage and develop and edify and discipline one another that we can be everything you would have us to be. Lord, I don't know what everyone's facing here, what their sins that really tempt them today, but I pray that you would give them strength and that your grace would remind them that they are no longer a slave to sin, Lord, but they've been set free from that. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness to go on the offensive, to speak truth in love to everyone that we meet, that your kingdom would expand and that more and more people would know you. And Lord, I pray so much that this week that you would use us to be just a little bit of light that would bring a little bit of more light that would continue to expand and to grow and to encourage all those who are touched by it. Lord Jesus, we love you. And it's in your precious name we pray.